Amen. What beautiful song. <clears throat> beautiful hymn. Beautiful message. Well, I think we're going to make it through the third chapter of 1 John today. If you want to uh, turn there and follow along. And I want to talk about uh, what does the love of God look like in the believer's life, in our life? What does God's love look like? And really, as John is talking here, he's talking about the objective of love and how it is shown in our life. And so in order to um, really understand God's love, we need to understand that there's, in the English language, we use the word love sort of in a broad-based sense. It's like meat. When we talk about meat, it can be going up and shaking somebody's hand. When we talk about meat, it can be a gathering together. We're having a meeting today, a, a gospel meeting. It can also mean a steak or a hamburger, a pork chop. I'm going to eat some meat today. So meat, depending on how you use it, can have a, a different meaning. And in the Greek language, there is basically four words that were used for the word love. One was uh, eros, and it's where we get our word erotic. So it's a, it's a physical love between a husband and a wife. Okay, that was one type of love that the Greeks talked about. Storge was a family love. As parents love their children, or as children love their parents, or as we love those that are in our family. You know, it's a familia love. And then there was philia. It's where we get our word Philadelphia. And we know Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love, and that's what it is. So we love our friends. We love our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a friendship. It's a a tightness, a bond that takes place there. And uh, philia might be described as the highest level of love that we can attain without a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. But then there's agape. Agape is the love of God. And that's the one that we're going to talk mostly about today. It's described as a love uh, that loves without changing. It's a constant love that God has for us. It's a self-giving love that is not demanding or requiring of something from us in order for God to show that to us. It's a love that doesn't expect repayment. So most of these other loves, by the way, the world can manufacture. The world has these things. It has uh, the eros. It has the storge. It has the philia. But it cannot have the agape. So all these other ones, Eros, Storge, and Philea, they can all be conditional. They can all have contingencies. So Philea, friendship love. Well, I'm, you're my friend as long as you don't betray me. You're my friend uh, as long as you know, you're good to me, I'll be good to you. We have those conditional loves. But agape brings us beyond that. Agape brings us to this love that God has, and it, says it expects no repayment. It's a, it's a love that is so great that it is one that is given to the unlovable. You ever meet those people in your life? The unappealing. It's a love that gives even when it is rejected. And this is the love that God is talking about. It's not a love that is merely felt, but agape is a love that is also demonstrated. And so when we look at things, like Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God demonstrated his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the agape love. 
It was a love that was demonstrated. And nature can teach us many things about God. I spent a few days up at our cabin. It was a beautiful time. I, I just, I am so in awe of God's nature and beauty and the things I can look at, rocks and trees and no matter what it is, and I can see just God's handy work in it. Nature is a wonderful thing. It can teach us about God's wisdom in, in the creation. Why do animals do the things that they do or, or what triggers certain things? It can teach us about God's intelligence, the intelligent design that goes in to all of his creation. It can teach us about his mighty power. If you've ever been in a storm, you can just see the mighty power, the lightning flashes and all these things. Nature can teach us many things about God, but in and of itself, it cannot teach us about God and God's love. That was a love that needed to be demonstrated. And so we needed the death of God's son, Jesus Christ, to really show us what that agape love was. And so when Jesus went to the cross and he died for you and me, that was a love, that God so loved the world. Again, it was a love that wasn't deserved. It was a love that was for the unlovable. It was a love for us that were probably very unappealing. It was a love that was given for those that would even reject God. But it was a, God, it was a love that was given and that he demonstrated to us. And so Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Sort of a, a complete opposite of what the world teaches today. The world teaches us that we look out for number one, and who's number one? Us. We have the religion of self in the world today. It's all about me. What do I get? What do I benefit out of this? What are my dividends for doing these things? So the world teaches us something different. What Paul talks about here is really what Jesus did on the cross. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Jesus didn't go to the cross for selfish reasons. He went to the cross for giving reasons. The lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Jesus went to give his life as a ransom for us. Sinners. The dirt, the filth of this world. The, 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 the dirtiness that had never touched Jesus. He went to the cross for us. He loved us that much. He esteemed us that much. Let each of us look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. They understood, as the Trinity, as the Godhead, that this was the bridge, this was the way that would be made for us to have relationship with God. So as I picture many times when Jesus hung upon the cross, and when we talk about for God so loved the world, there was nothing out there that was redeemable, or reasons why he should do what he did other than his love for you and I. He loved the world, he hung there, and he, and he looked at people that had spit upon him and beat him. He looked upon people that were gambling for his clothes. He looked upon people that were never going to accept him and those that had rejected him. 
He looked upon those that would be enemies for life and all eternity. But he also saw those out there that would accept him and love him. But it says that he went to the cross for all of those people. That's the love that God had. So what does it mean to to love in real life? What does it look like in your and my life? So in in verse 17, it says, Whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he talks about this love that we are to have for others. It says, really, how do we, how do we show God's love? By how we treat others. By the things that we do for others. If we see somebody in need, are we willing to help them? You know, the easy and cheap answer in a lot of things is that when people have problems and they come and, oh man, we're really going through this difficult time. And sometimes, well, I'll pray for you. And that's where we stop. And it's not that prayer isn't good. It is. It's very good. God tells us to do it. It isn't that prayer can't be effective. It is. But God calls us to something beyond that. He calls us to be doers of his word and not hearers only. So when we look at these things, we say, are we demonstrating our relationship with God, with others that are around us? If you see those that have need and do nothing, how does the love of God abide in him? Sort of a rhetorical question. The answer is it doesn't. It doesn't. And so God has called us, again, to be doers of what he has called us to do. Clark's commentary says this, Here is a test of this love. If we do not divide our bread with the hungry, we certainly would not lay down our life for him. Whatever love we may have pretend to mankind, if we are not charitable and benevolent, we give the lie to our profession. Basically, Clark was saying, if you're not putting the rubber of your Christian faith to the pavement, and being doers of his word, and being demonstrators of the love of Christ, he's really saying that we are lying about the profession of our faith. Now, John has told us through 1 John, he's given us sort of a self-test through here. How do we know that we are Christians? How do we know these things? If we say that we are enlightened, we walk in darkness, the Bible says we're liars, the truth is not as well. He tells us the same thing here. If we see people that are in need, and we have the ability to assist them in some way and, and we just ignore them because we do not care for them. We're not demonstrating God's love or the Holy Spirit that is in our life with those around us. It says the love of God then really isn't in us. Stott says this, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H, meaning as a mass. So it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I found that just an interesting saying. Oh, we love everybody. I love everybody. But do you love me? I love everybody, but do I love you? See, we can, we can throw this big blanket over everything and, and try to cover it that way. 
And it's sort of an excuse for not getting involved individually in people's lives. And God has called us to get involved individually in people's lives. To reach out to those, as he would put it, are uninteresting. To reach out to those that are unlovable. To reach out to those that are exasperated. You know, have you ever met those people? They, I call them life suckers. Sometimes in the prison we have these because there's guys that just want to talk. They just want somebody to listen to them because they're living in an environment where nobody wants to listen. We sort of live in a world where nobody wants to listen. And sometimes I can spend 10 minutes with a guy. Sometimes I can spend an hour with a guy and they leave and I am drained. I haven't said anything, but I'm just drained. They're life suckers, I call them. They're exasperated. They wear you out. God has called us to reach out to those people. They're depraved. We don't have much in common. They live in a life that's just contrary to mine. I don't want to have anything to do with them. God's called us to love them. Because the vilest of sinner is made by Christ in the image of God. The otherwise unattractive. Those that society maybe looks down their nose at and says, you know, who would want to associate with those types of people? But God has called us to this, and this is the agape love. That's not the, the, the philia, it's not the brotherly love, because they have nothing to offer me. And it's, it's not the other loves, because they're not family, and it's not physical. It's an agape love. It's a love that says they're doing nothing to deserve the love that I want to show them. Because in my flesh, I don't want to show them. But because Christ lives in me, because I have his Holy Spirit in me, I am prompted. And my desires become the desires of God as I walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Verses 19 tells us, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall be assured our hearts before him. Talking about our hearts. Our hearts can have that assurance that we are of God. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Do you have confidence before God? Do you have that assurance before God? Do you just mouth it or do you know it? Is the Lord alive in your life? Is he making a difference in your life? Are you growing closer to him each and every day? It's not that we don't have pitfalls from time to time. We all have those. But do you know that you're a child of God? That's why John just a a couple chapters ago was saying, you are this. You are the children of God. Know that you are the children of God. You are adopted in. You are drafted in. You are a child of the living God. We can have that assurance. Gail Irwin tells of this this wonderful story of a man named Jake who had not a spiritual inkling in his life. He used to come to church once in a while, but it wasn't to partake of the service. It was to beat up the ones he didn't like in there, some of the elders and the other men in the body of Christ. So when he'd walk through the door, people'd shudder. They didn't know what to do. They'd hide. They'd try to do it, whatever. Well, he came into church one time, and, but this time he, he came in and he walked up front and he knelt down. 
And they accepted Jesus as a savior. The congregation was sort of in disbelief as they saw this, didn't know if they should believe it or not. Jake left and next service, he came back in again and sat in the back of the church and the men were looking like, well, is he going to beat us up again or is he going to, what's he going to do? And the pastor was up and he asked for testimonies. Can somebody tell me what God is doing in their life? And that Jake stood up. He says, I'm not sure what happened, but he says, the other day, he says, I hated all of you. But today I walked in here and I love all of you. See, that's a love that can only come from God. That's the changed heart. That's, that's not living within the flesh. It's living within the spirit. And he had this in his life because he gave his life to Jesus. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness. Romans 8.16, With our spirit, that we are children of God. Something had happened in Jake's life. His life was transformed. His life was changed. We see many today that profess Christianity, but their life hasn't changed one bit. They're still living for self. They're not living for Jesus. They're not living for the betterment of the Christian cause, of the gospel of Christ. They're living for themselves. Even professing Christians living for themselves. Not so concerned about others, but concerned about themselves and what they want to do and what they want to accomplish and wanting things the way that they think it should be. Fellowship with God means the assurance of knowing that we are where we need to be. It's the assurance of answered prayer. Verse 22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. This isn't just an answer to say, well, I'm praying for a Cadillac, I'm praying to win the lottery, I'm praying for this or that. So God's going to give it. No, that's not what it's talking about here. It says we receive what we ask from him because we keep his commandments. We are walking according to his word, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Jesus has made a difference in our life, and so we're following him. We're walking in his shadow. We want to be as close to him as we can. When my oldest boy was just a, a young one, probably about this tall, we were going out into the woods. We were going to hunt rabbit. And the snow was, was fairly deep. For him, it was like, you know, up around his waist or a little higher. And so I would break the path. And I'd take these little steps, but I was mushing the snow down and he could follow me and as we'd go through a swamp, I mean, he wanted to be like close to me because he felt safe and secure there. Is that your vision of, of walking with Christ? I want to be in his shadow. I want to be as close to him as I can. He's breaking the path. Or do we venture out on our own, trying to blaze our own trail? Many of us, we, we have our own little wagon. We say, hey, God, this is the way I'm going. If you want to come with me, hop on. Instead of saying, God, I see where you're going and I want to be a part of that. Do you have that assurance in your life? The assurance of answered prayer, because when I'm walking close with God and and I'm living pleasing to him and I'm doing his commandments, and it's not just the Ten Commandments, it's the principles of the Bible, I'm 
I'm living the life that he would have me to live. I'm loving people the way that God has told me to love, this agape love. I'm letting the Holy Spirit overflow. It's not just fill my cup, but my cup is running over. And I want to follow the Lord as close as I can. And and it's just being there. And as I pray, it's not my will, but thy will be done. We wake up in the morning saying, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to be an instrument of your of your liking this day. I want to be used of you, Lord. Bring people into my life that I can share with them or bring people into my life that I can, I can help them or listen to them. Sometimes we just need to listen to people. We don't always need to be thinking of the answers to give. Sometimes it's just important to listen. But we say, Lord, bring people into my path that I might be used of you. When we pray those prayers, and everybody that comes into our path that day is like, is this the one, Lord? And we find out at the end of the day that they were all the one. Because God has brought all these people in our life. God brings people into our life for a reason. John seems to sort of be quoting from uh, Jesus from the Gospel that he wrote in 15. If you abide in me and my works abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But look at the prerequisite. If you abide in me and I'm abiding in you, then you shall ask and it shall be done. When my heart is in the tune with God, then my desires are his desires. And the desires that I have are also his desires. And he will give me the desires of my heart because the desires of my heart are in accordance to him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all unto the glory of God. And when we live in our life that way and we're demonstrating his agape love, not expecting anything in return, we're just givers. We're just givers of what Christ has given. He's given me eternal life. What did I do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. What can I do to pay him back for that? Absolutely nothing. It's a free gift of God, but because he's done that, I want to live for him. And everything that I have, I want to share with others. You're down. I got the answer. The words of God will give you that answer. You need a friend. I can be that friend. You have nobody that cares for you. I care for you. You have nobody to listen to you. I will listen to you. That's what God wants us to be in the world today. Are we that? Are you that? Are you demonstrating that love? Because for the believer that doesn't have Christ in his life, there's no obedience required to come to Christ. So when we hear his voice, we respond. But for the believer, it says he has called us. We're ambassadors. He's put us on a mission. He's given us a, a life to live in him. And so we walk and we say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Yes, I got things I want to do in my life. But Lord, that's okay. I want to follow you. And as I follow you, whatever you have is way better than what I have for myself. We need to humble ourselves. We need to yield ourselves fully, not just give him a chip here or there, but we need to say, I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. All for you. The person who is fellowshipping with God 
wants to be pleasing to him. The person that is fellowshipping with God will, will bear that cross, will deny himself, will, will sacrifice himself to follow closer to Jesus, to be pleasing in his sight. How many of us really say it? Lord, today I want to be pleasing in your sight. Every word I utter, every thought I have, everything I do, I want it to be pleasing in your sight. <clears throat> now we know that that probably isn't going to happen in all those areas of our life every day. But is that your goal? We should have hearts that want to be pleasing to the Lord. That's my desire in everything that we do. I think it, it, it be, it's a real sobering thought, I think, in our life. If we were to look at our lives and see how much we do to please ourselves. And then look at our lives and see how much we do to please God. That's a reality check in our life. Sit down and take that self-inventory sometime in your life. Verses 23, and this is the commandment that we should believe in the name of the Son of Jesus. You know, there's power in the name of Jesus. We need to declare the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. The Bible says there's power in the name of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with the word God. It's a great word. A lot of people have that on their bumper sticker, I love God. But the Bible says there's power in the name of Jesus. So if you're fighting with despair, you're fighting with temptation, you're fighting with bitterness, you're fighting with anger, you, you proclaim the name of Jesus and have victory over those things in your life. You ever get tired of wrestling those things yourself? Just trying to do it yourself? I know in my life when I'm really getting exhausted and wore down, I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever, I know that I'm walking too much in the flesh. I'm trying to do too much in the flesh and I need to stand back and, and, and allow God in his timing. I need to give him the glory. I need to wait on him. Too many times we don't wait on the Lord. We do things of our, of our own accord. But we should believe in the name of Jesus and we should love one another, the Bible says. We should believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he has given us commandments. You know, the disciples, they are so argued, What's it, what commandments are the most important? Basically, they said that they're summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That was the first and greatest. So when we talk about walking in the commandments of God, they can be summed up in those two things. So the first question I ask you is this. Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart? Not part of your heart, all your heart. Have you given him all your heart? Have you given him all your soul? All your spiritual unease and unrest? All the things inside? With all your mind, have you committed those things in your head to him? We sing a song every now and then, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Well, turn your mind upon Jesus. Let your mind be stayed on these things. And the rest falls in place. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he added this, and the second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, in the world today, we have the religion of self. We've made ourselves our own little gods. We want to do what we want to do. We want to dictate this, and we want to control that, and we want to micromanage this. And, and, and we, we are so, we're control freaks in the world today. And we forget that God is sovereign. And if you believe in the, the sovereignty and the providence of God, you, you relinquish those things to him and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And I'm not going to love myself any more than I love my neighbor. Because when we're loving ourselves more, we're doing the opposite of what we just read in Philippians. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Can you really say that? Or do you expect something in return? John 6, 29 says this, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Jesus says, I will give you the power, the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge. Follow me. Sometimes we come to Jesus and we have our agenda. Well, Lord, this, I got to do this. And Jesus says, you know what? Follow me. All these things will take care of themselves. You follow me. But Lord, I, I got I to bury my family. Let the dead bury their dead. You need to follow me. Are you following Jesus? To believe in the name of Jesus means to put your belief on Jesus. You're believing in him. You're not believing in the circumstances that are around. The circumstances around you may be real. But there is one who can change the circumstances around you, and it's not you. It's him. There's the one who called all creation into existence with a word. He created something out of nothing, and you don't think he can fix a circumstance in your life? You need to trust on Jesus in the sense of putting your trust in him. I know it looks dim. Oh, this valley is long. Man, that tunnel is dark. But you know what I know is that when I'm with Jesus... No matter how dark it is, no matter how dim it seems, no matter how deep it is, he's with me, and I will come out the other side. For the lost, they don't know that. They get anxiety, they get fear, they get, oh, I'm not in control of things. You know, we have that little saying every now and then, let go and let God. Let go and let God. You'll be much better when you do this. You know, as a, as a lifeguard, They'll train you that when you go out to save somebody, you tell that person, just relax. I got you. Stop trying to swim. You're making it worse. You're going to drown us both. Just relax. I got you. And so they'll say when the lifeguard grabs you, you just relax. And then they'll pull you to safety. Jesus tells us much the same. Relax. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you clinging to him? Are you trusting in him? Because it's not about intellectual knowledge. It's not about understanding. We have people that are, are, are scholars in, in the books and in the, the readings. and the, You know, they could, they could out-quiz us all in a trivia game about it. 
But the real test is, are you trusting in him? Are you believing in him? You can't be abiding in Jesus and not knowing it. Listen, if you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you, you know it. Because it says the spirit testifies with his spirit. When I became a born-again believer, all of a sudden the spirit was there. And when I was listening to something I shouldn't, or I was saying something that I shouldn't, or I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing, it was just like this little finger on my back tapping me saying, oh, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be thinking this. You shouldn't be doing this. The Holy Spirit is in us. It's convicting us. The world doesn't know that. The world just goes on. But you can have that assurance because the Spirit is alive in us. And even though we go through doubts from time to time, and we all have those moments of doubt, where are you, Lord? How come I'm I'm crying out to you and I'm not hearing things? And we can have those doubts. But the Lord says, hey, you have my spirit. I am with you. You know, the Bible has times of, of, of long periods of silence. It's not like God answers to our every whim, every second that we cry out to him. But we know he's there. The assurance that I have is that I know that he is with me. And even when I'm looking for an answer and I'm not getting it, I know that he's working something out. He's either working it out in my life or he's working it out around me. And when it's his time, he will reveal that to me. But he who does not keep God's commandments of loving him with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he who does not love his neighbor as himself does not have the confidence or the assurance that he's abiding in Jesus. It's time for the Christian to stop trying to be so much like the world and to be different and to put your trust in Christ. That's how we have the assurance in our life. The Holy Spirit has called us to be a unique and different people. Actually, the Bible calls us strange and peculiar. The world shouldn't look at us and say, well, you're just like me. You know, when I was led to Christ through when the Holy Spirit started working in my life before I was saved, he brought people into my life, and when I looked at them, I said, there's something different about that person. I want what they have. Do you think the world says that about you? They should. It should be our aim and our goal that when people look at you, they'll say, there's something different about you. What is it? And boom, the door is open. You have the opportunity to share the gospel message. Do you have that in your life? God's given us a basis for this assurance. Verse 19 again. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If we have love for the brethren... Verse 24 in closing, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. We can know these things. You need to know these things. And if you don't know these things, settle the question today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
Maybe you've been religious your whole life. Maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you know all about Jesus and God and Moses and, you know, the, the Bible stories. You've heard them. But you're lacking that assurance. The Spirit doesn't seem to be in you. God says, settle those things with you. Maybe you haven't put your full trust in Him. And so you're doubting every time. Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? I don't know if I'm a Christian. Maybe I'm a Christian. I go to church. I think I should be a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. God doesn't want us being there. He wants us to be assured. I know I'm a child of God. I put my trust and my faith in Him. I believe in His name. I believe He is who He said He is. That He's the sinless Son of God. He's part of the triune Godhead. That His blood was shed for my sins. That he was without sin became sin for me. That he died and that he rose again and that he is coming back again for me. I believe those things. And even when I falter and even when I doubt, I believe those things. Because his word is true. And in the name of Jesus, he can cast out that doubt and that fear. In the name of Jesus, When we have those things in our life, we go and say, Lord, remove those things. Buffer Satan from me. I want to just see you, Lord. I want to walk so close to you, like the woman that touched the hem of his garment. And it says, Jesus felt the power leave himself. Who touched me? And his disciples said, oh, there's a crowd of people around. Anybody could have touched me. He says, no, somebody was close and they touched me. And my power went out from me to that person. God has given us that power through his Holy Spirit. Are you walking that close to Jesus to touch that hymn? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the challenge that John has been giving us through these little epistles. Lord, he's challenged us to look at our life. He's challenged us to uh, keep our walk in check. He's challenged us in the priorities of our life. He's challenged us now in agape love. Are we being demonstrators of the love of God, of the work of God through our lives? Is our cup running over? Is the world seeing in us something that is different that the world cannot offer? The world just offers vain attempts at satisfaction. It is you who satisfies eternally. Lord, help us to settle the question today if we do not know. To put our trust and our faith fully and completely in you to surrender. As the song that we sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Many times, Lord, we need to let go of those things that are around us in order to cling to you. May that be our desire. May that be our aim and our goal. Father, we thank you for this time. And as we come to the Lord's table and we prepare our hearts today for the symbols of what you have given us, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts and change our lives and minds. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.